0: Hey y'all, welcome to Sunny D, the ponderings of a black polyamorous and sexual polymath. That would be me, D-Ray. I talk about relationships, relationshipping, intersectionality, tea, and a whole lot of other shit. Let's get on with the show in our different segments. Well, 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 hello. And today on What's the Tea? The tea that I am drinking today is called Spring Blossom. I picked this one because I am very eager for spring to be here. (laughs) We have had many false springs here in the DMV and I'm just ready for it to be the real spring, okay? And so I picked this because the name of it is Spring Blossom and I was like, maybe this will channel some warm weather my way. Although I am driving back home to Louisiana this week, So I will get some warm weather, but hopefully when I come back, I'll bring the spring with me. Anyway, this tea is from a company called Dwell Tea Company, and it is black woman owned. I heard about this company not too long ago from my metamore, and um, the owner is a friend of his. So I was like, oh, I'll check them out. I support all tea companies, and I especially support black women, period, so this is the second tea of theirs that I'm drinking. Um, I bought every single tea that they had in their shop. <laughs> I mean, granted, I bought mostly the sample sizes, except for the ones that didn't have sample sizes. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely gonna be buying more from them. This tea, is pretty good. Um, it's all right. It's all right. It's very floral. And I'm not the biggest floral tea person Um, it has a very nice aroma like the smell is so great and the taste is very light there is no grassiness to it it's a green tea it's a jasmine lavender and rose petal blend and i can literally taste all three of those things in this tea so spring blossom is a very very great name for this tea and it is it does feel very springy I like to talk a little bit more about Dwell Tea Company because, like I said, I love supporting black woman-owned businesses, and this is a tea business. Come on, y'all. I got to support. So you can find Dwell Tea Company at dwell, D-W-E-L-L-T, co.com. I also have it in my show notes, and I just wanted to read what they have in the about section of the website because I talked about this in my last episode. A reason that I love tea, which is that tea connects us to others, or at least for me, tea connects me to other people. So our need to connect is as fundamental as food and water and tea. Dwell Tea Company is a modern, eco-friendly tea and lifestyle brand based in Maryland created to merge our passions for tea, community, holistic living, and empowering women. Our high-quality loose-leaf tea blends are beautifully simple, affordable, and beneficial for your health. We believe that tea also has the power to bring people together for connection and meaningful conversations. What I tell y'all. People gathering over tea have a profound ability to ideate ideas, create solutions, and ultimately impact their communities. Since many women are the gatekeepers of their homes, they play a pivotal role in the wellness of their families. We seek to provide them with the necessary information and tools with our tea. Lastly, as a minority-owned small business, we create space to amplify, and celebrate women I fucking love that and I fucking love you all right so oh wow I just scroll down a little bit more because there's a picture of the owner super cute and then it says favorite tea spring blossom yay (laughs) that's great all right moving to the second part of what's the tea I am a undercover I only say undercover because I don't think a lot of people know this about me or would Guess this about me? Reality show fanatic. Not really a fanatic. Okay. I just like reality shows because the way people relate to each other is very interesting to me. And although some reality shows, it's not, it's scripted. There are other ones where it's not as scripted. um, And those are the ones that I think I like better. So like I would choose a love is blind <laughs> over a real housewives even though i have watched both i mentioned love is blind because this past weekend was the reunion episode for season two of love is blind and yeah i had a few things to say on my twitter about this damn season finale i would like to say that i wanted more of the black couple um Ayana and what was the dude's name Maurice I don't know what his name is I know all the women names I can't remember all the men's names but Ayana and her man I wanted more of them like why we got the damn we got the damn home video from the anxiety chick and uh messy Betty but we didn't get no home video from the the black couple come on y'all um, I would like to say that that messy Betty, the dude that I'm talking about, y'all know who I'm talking about. they the couple that look like they just sit at home eating popcorn and talking shit about all the other contestants, them, yeah them. I love that dude, the dude in that couple is' hilarious to me um because probably because he reminds me of a lot of my friends. For messy and petty <laughs> it's like i don't want the drama myself but i will sit and watch the drama please continue to give it to me that's the vibes he be giving off and i can fuck with that um elephant in the room shake shake is a hot fucking mess come on shake what the hell like just shut up and he interrupted everybody's story. It just didn't make any sense to me why he had something to say about everybody's fucking story. And then it was like, I'm just speaking for the masses. Everybody's thinking this. And, you know, that's your problem. And I love that Ayana called him out for being a narcissist. I love the fact that, damn, Nick and um, Vanessa were, like, popping off. Like, Vanessa went off on him. They usually just be there. Okay? I'm just like, or do we need these hoes? But that, that ringing episode, well worth it, well worth it to see that. Also, when old black dude called him a fucking joke, who I screamed, I screamed. Also, the fact that Shake was so, uh, that he made Shane almost seem normal. Uh, What? Because the entire time, the entire series, I'm like, what, Shane just does not feel right to me he is super high strung He's like an anxious little chihuahua um I'm unsure if he like was going through withdrawal and I'm not saying this as a joke because he just was like really like it just seemed unstable to me um in his actions and stuff so i'm like is this anxiety is this a drug withdrawal i don't know but it made me concerned it wasn't as much amusing as it was like this makes me concerned and then whenever they broke up him and natalie broke up right before the wedding or whatever because of the shit that he said i was not surprised because i don't know he just gave me vibes of gaslighting and um a bit of like verbal abuse but like he seemed like the t- the type that learns all the right things to say so that then he can weaponize it. Now that's just me. I don't know these people's lives, but that's kind of kind of what I got from him, the vibe I got from him. Deep T, Deep T is a goddess. She's a queen. I wish that, you know, I met her and uh let me be quiet. Let me stop. Let me stop because I be thirsty, y'all. But deep tea and Kyle, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Also, Sal with the with the with the with the beard. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was cute or whatever, but I'm like, Sal with the beard? Like, yes. This this is this is great. Um and I'm, I'm a little bit sad that him and Mallory didn't work out even after the fact. But that's all right. Uh, hopefully, Mal will find her somebody cute, too. I want all the women to find them somebody that's good for them. Natalie, I really hope Natalie do not get back with Shane. And Shayna. bruh, can somebody get Shayna some glasses? Because the bitch be squinting. And I'm unsure if it's just judgment if it's confusion or if it's bad eyesight, I'm going to go with the confusion because that's what it seems like to me. Hopefully, she can find her some nice Christian man to lead the home. <laughs> let me stop. Let me stop. But yeah, that's the tea that I have for you guys. It's the first thing that's on my mind because I just finished watching that shit yesterday. All right, on with the show. So today's episode is... Questions, questions from the audience. This is a very interesting thing to me because I do get a lot of questions from both folks that are close to me, like around me, acquaintances and stuff, family members, and also from the interwebs, just on groups that I'm in or like to my page, to my um, Instagram and Facebook. So this is a compilation of questions that folks have asked me the last couple of months um, and we're just gonna get into it oh wait wait actually before we get into it i wanted to do a little brief terminology thing um so that for those of you who are unfamiliar with non or are new to non-monogamy you kind of will know what i'm talking about whenever i say certain words um and you might have looked them up already if you listen to my previous episodes and like huh what is that that's fine these Definitions I'm giving are my personal definitions. They're how I view the world. And if you want to know more about something, you should really research it. And also, if it's something that like I do not practice, then you should probably go find some resources for that's people that do practice it. So yeah. All right. So um, first, I would like to talk about non-monogamy non-monogamy is just an umbrella term for anything that's not monogamous monogamous is whenever you are look i am trying to think of a great way to say this is not using any um words with negative connotations because even though i don't give negative connotations to certain words other folks do and i don't want anybody to think that i feel negatively about monogamy um Monogamy is when you are, you, oh, great. Monogamy is when you have sexual and romantic fidelity to one person. And non monogamy simply means when you don't. Now, there is a debate about whether to say ethical non monogamy versus consensual non monogamy. Basically, What would be non-consensual non-monogamy or non-ethical non-monogamy? Well, I would say that's folks who are cheating. Like they are partners, do not know that they are seeing other people. And so when we say ethical non-monogamy, we usually mean everybody in it, like knows that the other person is seeing other folks, even if they don't know who those other folks are or the intricacies of those other relationships The debate between consensual non-monogamy and ethical non-monogamy is that different people have different ethics, so how can you say that one thing is ethical and the other thing is not? I think it goes all the way around that if you are not giving people informed consent, giving them all the basics so that they can make a decision based off of the whole truth, then that's not ethical. But then there are other things that folks debate on, is this thing ethical and is this thing not ethical and non-monogamy? then they also have that same debate with consensual non-monogamy because it's like, well, did I give my full consent for my person to be doing this? Which I don't know. It's very it's it's um, <laughs> we people start debating it's really is it's sometimes confusing to me because I'm like, well, with consensual non-monogamy is basically saying I know everything that is going on. You gave me the basics and I can consent to whether or not I want to be in a relationship where the person is not monogamous or I cannot consent to it and then decide not to be with that person. Um, Other folks are like, well, I didn't consent for him to have however many date nights. And I'm like, but that's his, that has to do with him and not with you. So you can't consent for somebody else to do a thing. You can only consent on whether or not you will be participating in the said thing. So anyways, that's a whole nother thing. And we can probably, I can probably do a podcast episode just about that um but i just wanted to mention both of those because you will see both ethical non monogamy and consensual non monogamy as terms out there in the world and they're essentially saying the same thing all right so non monogamy is the umbrella term for several different practices such as swinging where you know a couple and sometimes it's singles but a couple goes and they swap partners um and among other things Monogamish, which is folks who are usually monogamous, but they have like a hall pass, or if they're on work travel, they can like do a little dilly dallying here and there. Um, some BDSM dynamics, where you know the person may not have a romantic or sexual relationship with somebody, but they do BDSM with several folks. Um, and then there's polyamory, which is a term that a lot of people are familiar with now because it is getting popular in the media. And it's basically that you, there is an emotional connection involved in the non-monogamy. Other non-monogamous terms, a triad or a triad. I already talked about why I say triad. It's just because that's what my mouth do. (laughs) Um, That's a relationship where it's three people. It can be either open or closed, open meaning those three people can also date other people um, outside of the triad or closed, which is basically a monogamous relationship between the three people. We have a quad where it's four persons, same thing. And uh, what else we have? We have nesting partner. That's a partner that you live with. Anchor partner. That's a partner that you share certain entanglements with. Uh, Queer platonic partners. Those are partners where... It is not quite romantic, but it is kind of more than platonic. And you might share some things that folks don't necessarily um, equate with platonic relationships. You may share it with that person. So it looks a little queer. <laughs> solo polyamory. Solo polyamory is when you don't want to be entangled with folks. You want to be solo um, you are your own primary, and this is different from being single because being single just means you don't have any partners. Period. None, zero partners right now. Solo polyamory means that you don't want to be, you know, entangled in certain ways with other folks. You can look up solo polyamory and see from the perspective of folks who are solo polyamorous. I'm not, although I am a relationship anarchist, which is basically. I feel like all the things that come with being a couple or marriage should be mixed and we should pick and choose who we want to share that with. Um, I don't think that romantic relationships are more important than non-romantic relationships. Um, and a matter of normativity is the devil. <laughs> for lack of better words. That's how I feel. That's my relationship anarchy. I have lots of posts about it and I'll be talking about it later in some episodes. Um, I mentioned primary. So primary and secondary are terms that are used in hierarchical relationships. Hierarchical can be two different things. One is prescriptive, which is what most folks talk about when they say that they are hierarchical. Um, That's basically there is one person or maybe even two people that are the mains and their feelings and needs come first, period, all the time. That's a given. And then secondaries are, you know, the other partners and that they know that their feelings and needs and all of that are going to come second to the primaries. And then there's also descriptive Hierarchy where the hierarchy isn't necessarily implicitly stated and it's not followed to the T. The hierarchy is descriptive, it's the situational. And I feel like most people have a descriptive hierarchy because there are things that are going to be more important. Um, For instance, like I know that there are certain situations that will take precedence over other situations if my partners need me. So if there's a death in the family or somebody stranded on the side of the road, I'm going to center that. I'm going to handle that before I handle a partner who like had a bad breakup. Because the other things to me are more important to support that other partner through and if I don't have the spoons then the person that has like the bad breakup I will say certain words but then I will also make sure that they have other support systems in place I'm not saying I will necessarily make their other support systems I'm saying that I only engage with folks that I know have other support systems in place because I know that I cannot handle with my own personal stuff I cannot handle being a person's like only line of defense so Yeah. Um, What else we got? Compersion. Compersion is when you feel happy because another person is happy. This doesn't just have to happen in polyamorous relationships. Um, Think about if your best friend got a raise and you feel really happy that her hard work is paying off. It's the same thing. That's a feeling of compersion. And a lot of folks feel this whenever their partners find a new partner that they really love or they did an activity with somebody that they've been wanting to do. Um, Shit like that. Oh, in metamor. Metamore is the partner of your partner. I used it earlier and I was basically talking about my girlfriend's husband. He's not my partner. He's her partner. He's my Metamore. There we go. All right. So now we're getting into the questions. First, I would like to say I got two questions that I'm going to be tackling on later episodes that I feel like, yes, are important. But I wanted to let y'all know that I will be talking about these things. So if you submitted some questions like that, or were thinking about certain things around these two things, just know that in the future, I'm going to have these episodes. One is vetting, basically how to vet partners. I will be covering that in several episodes, and I will have one episode just about vetting, but I want to get some groundwork laid before I do that vetting episode, because I already know I'm going to have to refer to other things. In that episode. So, not quite sure when that one's going to be, but it is coming. And I got a lot of questions about STI stuff. We're going to be talking about this in my April 11th episode. Let's talk about sex. And I have a guest, the sexology bay, Alex, who will be coming on that episode to talk about sex. And we're going to talk about STIs, common misconceptions with polyamory and STIs um how to make a safer sex plan all those things we're going to talk about that then all right now for the questions just so y'all know i just have a list of 10 questions sitting in front of me and we gonna go through them and i'm going to do this off the cuff straight from the dome y'all straight from the dome all right first question what should someone who has always been monogamous and is considering non-monogamy understand about non-monogamy great question the number one thing that i want to tell people when i see them in different groups and stuff and they're talking about i am you know monogamous and i want to be polyamorous i want to be non-monogamous give me advice the number one thing i want to tell them is learn yourself because i feel like a lot of folks come into non-monogamy and they're like what are the rules what are the configurations Um, is there a playbook and although there are certain like techniques and stuff that you can use I feel like the techniques in non-monogamy aren't necessarily just for non-monogamy they are just common relationship techniques they are things that everybody should be doing in all their relationships whether you're non-monogamous monogamous monogamous, monogamish whatever whether it's with friends partners family these are the relationship techniques that a lot of folks in non-monogamy use should be used across the board. Um, and I I wish that people who have always been monogamous and they're jumping into non-monogamy would understand that there is no, ro- there is no set way that you have to do it. There's such a variety in the way that relationships can be had, um, can be ordered, can be designed, that I feel like... A person can't tell you, like, here are all the configurations that can happen. Here are all the rules. You really have to think about what is it that you want. Why do you want non-monogamy? What do you want in a relationship, period, period, whether you're monogamous or non-monogamous. So, yeah, that's the main thing that I would want folks to know is you can create your own relationships. There are two books. Um... One called Designer Relationships. Can't remember who it's by. Um, And then also Stepping Off the Relationship Escalator. Also can't remember. And Graham, maybe that's Stepping Off the Relationship Escalator's author. Um, Those are two great books that talk about the different ways you can configure relationships, that you can design your own relationships. So I would suggest giving those a read and just... You know, doing some self-reflection on what it is that you want, um, what it is that you want in a person, in, a, in in all your relationships. Like, I remember a friend coming to me and telling me an issue that she had with me. Um, it wasn't a big thing. It was more of like, hey, you did this thing and it hurt my feelings and this is why. Um, and this is the things that I felt about it. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I understand how you felt about that. Um, I have a question for you. What type of friendship would you like for us to have? And what is it that you need from friendships? And she was like, "Nobody has ever asked me that before. And I was like, okay, well, think about it and let me know. Because for me, knowing what somebody like is looking for in any type of relationship, helps me with that relationship it lets me know whether or not i can meet their expectations um whether or not we're looking for something different or if we're looking for the same thing it puts us on the same page and then i also know how to support that person so yeah um think about what you want in relationships so that to me is more important than than worrying about if the polyamory police are going to come and get you um All right, next question. Would you say non-monogamy is a great option for someone who is looking to expand their boundaries? Eh, I mean, sure. (laughs) I say the eh because I'm like, you can be in non-monogamy and not expand any boundaries. Um, You can stay in your comfort zone forever in non-monogamy. Just find people that are in your comfort zone. However, I do think that non-monogamy is a great option if... You have a partner where you want to do certain things and they don't like to do those things. And it's not um, something that is like, well, I like horror movies and you don't like horror movies. So I go to horror movies with my friends. Um, If you want to do some BDSM or kink stuff, if you want to do certain sexual stuff. um, Yeah, I think it's a great way to expand your boundaries I guess expand your options I wouldn't use the word boundaries personally I would probably use the word options or experiences but I do think it is a good way to expand your experiences if you know you want to try a lot of things or you're really into a lot of things and you don't think that um you can find somebody who want to do all those things with you okay next question what would you say to someone whose trust has been violated in monogamous relationships but is genuinely interested in non-monogamy? What I would say is make sure you have a good support system that has nothing to do with romantic feelings or sex, period. Um, make sure that if you can, because I know that this is a hard thing and we live in a world where healthcare is not the our healthcare system is not the best. But if you can, find a therapist or do group therapy, or Find like a discussion group that's led by a therapist or a social worker or something like that or a um, Facebook group or something like that where you can get support from folks who are understanding of non-monogamy and alternative relationships. That's the first thing I would say. Um, The next thing I would say is, shit people are shit people. And it doesn't matter if it's, If they're monogamous, if they're non-monogamous or whatever, shit people are shit people. Non-monogamy doesn't take away the options for you to get your trust violated again. However, that's a reality of life. There are just some shitty people out there. And also there are people out there who just don't view things the way that you do and they can do that violation of trust not intentionally. Um, You just kind of have to... Open yourself up to knowing that if I'm looking for connections, there's a possibility that I might be hurt again. And I'm going to learn all I can about the coping mechanisms that work well for me, do my self-care, and build up my support system so that if it does happen again, I'm ready. I would also say to really look into um, your boundaries, like, Do some soul searching. Think about the boundaries that you want to have. Think about the consequences of those boundaries, such as I don't like being yelled at. If you yell at me, I will end the conversation, whether that's hanging up, whether that's saying I am not going to talk to you for the next five hours and closing the app, um, whether that's leaving the room or whatever. Put up that boundary and then do it. Um, And maybe even practice doing it with some friends so that it doesn't feel as bad. But I really, really, really look into exploring like in soul searching and thinking about what are my boundaries? What are the things that I do not want to put up with? What is a deal breaker? That is, if that person does this period, we will not be in a romantic relationship or we won't be maybe even we won't be in a relationship at all. What are situations that I'm going to be put in that I will need to remove myself from or do other methods to make sure that, like, I don't be in that situation as long? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Having your trust violated, um, being abused, being cheated on, it is hard. It's hard. And it is heartbreaking. And non-monogamy isn't going to solve that. You can still have these things happen to you in non-monogamy. And and that's sad, but it is, like I said, a fact of life. And so you just really have to build up your support system and, you know, do what you need to do so that you stay healthy, safe, and sane. All right. Here we go. So this is a two-part question. And the second part question I feel like answers the first part. So the first part says, what self-work needs to be done to be open to this lifestyle? The second question says, how can self-love, self-awareness, and emotional intelligence help people who want to transition to non-monogamy? So... Self-love, self-awareness, emotional intelligence. Those are the self-work <laughs> that I would say needs to be done in order to be open to this lifestyle. Like seriously, you need to have those things. You need to have self-love. You need to have self-awareness because you need to know who you are and you need to have emotional intelligence. So self-love will help you keep your personal boundaries strong and be able to follow through on them, like I said previously. And it will also help you... Um, circumvent, figure out who the fuckers are who might try to take advantage of you. Um, and it'll also help you like whenever somebody says bad mouths you or says something about you or rejects you, self-love can help you with all those things. Self-awareness now gives you the information you need to communicate clearly to others. Because a thing about relationships, period, monogamous or non-monogamous, is that you, you need to have really good compatibility to have a a long lasting relationship. And we are going to have an episode where we talk about compatibility and figuring out, you know, if you have compatibility with somebody, what does that even mean and all of that. But like self-awareness will help you figure out if you're compatible with somebody because you know yourself and you'll be able to communicate the information about yourself to somebody else in order to know whether or not y'all are compatible and you're not wasting time. I will have an episode Uh, fairly soon about writing a manifesto or a Karen feeding manual where it's basically like these are all the things that make me me. So we'll have the episode and um, yeah. Um, Emotional intelligence. All right. So emotional intelligence gives you like discernment that's necessary to navigate Uh, conflicts, logistics, general relationship problem solving. It also helps people with different communication styles um, to bridge the gap. And also if you have a different like love language or apology language, um, having emotional intelligence helps you be able to parse those differences and um, translate for lack of a better word. Between yourself and the person that you have a different, a different style with, um, you don't have to necessarily be incompatible with somebody, or at least totally incompatible with somebody. If you have a different love language, or apology style, or communication style than them, you just have to figure out what are y'all styles and how can I relay what I'm saying in this person's style. And emotional intelligence will help you with that. It will also help you to. Um, Manage your own emotions and regulate your own emotions. And that's, I think, very important in polyamory because (sighs) I feel like there are a lot of things in non-monogamy that get triggered or whatever. And I'm using trigger not in the like PTSD type of way. Um, But I feel like there are a lot of things in non-monogamy that trigger certain things that monogamy wouldn't. Because you don't have to face certain situations if you are monogamous, um, and so you need that emotional intelligence to help you not just have that raw, unfiltered reaction necessarily right there in front of your partners, or be so reactionary and think that that feelings are facts when they're not. All right. So next question. What thought patterns and misconceptions about non-monogamy that you have to address the most in the early phases of the transition? All right. So I talked about this in the first episode. I didn't really transition to non-monogamy because I've been having non-monogamous relationships since high school. And the couple of monogamous relationships I've had sprinkled in my life were actually the ones that were super hard for me. So it was very easy for me to transitioned i guess to non-monogamy because i was already there and i didn't have to change any of my thought patterns um because i already thought that way however i wasn't totally out out like living life free i was living my life but i just wasn't talking about it um i wouldn't necessarily say anything so i'm like was very private was very private about it until about 2013 2014 so I did have to work through the worrying about what others' misconceptions were and how they might view me. Um, It took me a while to, like, people was already calling me hoes and sluts and shit. And I'm like, now I'm just going to give them evidence that I am that. And you know what? I fucking am. So, ha. But I do think that there are some things that you have to... Uh, work through if you are transitioning from monogamy to non-monogamy because we have been trained society has put out so many things of what is right in relationships um, and monogamy is so ingrained in our society that there are things that you don't even realize that um, you're conditioned to until you are in non-monogamy I think because of the way that I was raised and how there was casual non-monogamy in my family um, that I might not have had as many misconceptions and stuff as other people um, when it came to being non-monogamous. Also, I didn't have like the whole relationship escalator thing. That wasn't it wasn't a big thing to me. Like I saw it in the media and stuff like that. But like in my actual family, there were f- plenty of folks who did not follow the relationship escalator at all and have very happy, it seemed that way, at least to me as a child, relationships. Plus, my mama is, I feel like, one of the biggest relationship anarchists because I was talking to my therapist about this and she was like, yeah, Deanna, you don't see anything really as romantic because you have been taught that if you care about somebody you do the things that they like your mother does that all the time like my mama really like if you are feeling down or if she loves you she will do whatever it is that you like if you like cookies she gonna bake you cookies if you like flowers she gonna bring you flowers um she gonna make you stuff because my mom is a seamstress she'll make you stuff she'll buy shirts clothing whatever jewelry and Stuff that looks like, oh, is she courting this person? And she's not. She's just like, well, I care about this person. They aren't feeling good. Or I just want to show them my appreciation. So here, I'm giving them this. And I have been around that my entire life. So, (laughs) um, yeah, that's that's, I think, a big part of who I am. So I didn't have, like, a lot of, like, misconceptions about what romance is and what being special is and that you have to save certain things for certain folks um, and only do it with them because of the way that I was raised. So I was lucky in that way. Um, But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and I would like to say that we will have a, an episode about monogamy hangover, which is basically, yeah, what it sounds like, where you are non-monogamous, but there are a lot of monogamy things that you're hanging on to and you don't even realize it until your body starts aching. <laughs> oh, and I also wanted to say, because I meant to say this at the very, very um, first thing, What should someone who has always been non-monogamous since considering non-monogamy, understand about non-monogamy? I'm going to have an episode that is um, connections, not configurations. And I cannot wait for that episode. (laughs) I just want to put that out there. All right, so next, next question. Is it tough being in relationships with multiple people, time and energy wise? I mean, it can be, but for me, that would be the case whether or not a person was monogamous or non-monogamous because everybody out there, unless you are a hermit and the only person you talk to is your spouse or yourself or your dog is in relationships with multiple people. Everybody in the world is in relationships with multiple people. I don't even know how I want to start this sentence. I just, it just irritates me that people don't consider that all the other, consider all the important relationships in their lives. When they say relationship, they mean capital R romantic relationships. And I feel like also, this is probably because, like, I'm a bit on the aromantic side. Like, what? Like, th- these other relationships are important or not? Like, do you just toss them out whenever you think about being in relationships? Whenever somebody says relationships, I think of all the relationships in my life and not just the f- people I'm fucking, okay? Anyway, that was a little mini rant. <laughs> um. So, yes, that basically... <laughs> It can be tough being in relationships with multiple people, but that matters not whether you're non-monogamous or monogamous. And I, (sighs) look at me breathing heavily, um... The fact that people put romantic relationships higher than other relationships is, I think, a reason that they feel like being it's going to be tough to be in relationships with multiple people because they put romantic relationships on this pedestal and think you have to do all of these things for romantic relationships. And so if you have to do all of those things for more than one person, how can you maintain? And I'm here to tell y'all, y'all, you don't. Okay. The way I view it is my relationships are what they are. And the importance of each one depends on our level of emotional intimacy. So I talked about this earlier, how I try to prioritize situations because all the people in my life that I deem important, that I deem my people, are priorities. So because of that, I could have only one romantic and sexual partner and still have to be very aware of my time and energy because I will have friends and family and all that that I want to care about and show my appreciation for and support. That being said, whatever your feelings about it, whether or not you put romantic relationships as higher than other relationships or are like me and this is like all the people I care about and this is hard. It's all about being self-aware and knowing your bandwidth. I'm going to have an episode about bandwidth later on down road. actually not super far down the road. I think it's going to be in the next month or so. I just looked at my schedule and March 21st is going to be my episode about bandwidth. And April 4th is going to be my episode about connections and not configurations. FYI, everybody. So anyways, yes, you have to know your bandwidth. Your bandwidth is the number of close relationships you can maintain without becoming burnt out, oversaturated, not being able to keep your commitments, Um, not being able to keep up with your time, having very low energy, all of that. So this number is different for everyone because you also have to factor in like family, home commitments, work and self. For me, that number is 10, the amount of non-familial close connections that I can have without becoming burnt out. And I'm currently at nine. So I'm very careful. I'm adamant and precise about scheduling dedicated time not only to my people for all my people and how often and the nature of what we do with that time depends on the specific person and their wants and needs balanced with my own um so I not only am adamant about scheduling that dedicated time for them but also for myself because I need it so yeah it can be tough being in multiple relationships um but you kind of have to really think about your time. Like it it can be hard, it can be tough, but it's worth it. I just answered a question in a group about, you know, what would you do if all your partners needed you at once? And I would triage. That's what triage is for. Ooh, I should do an episode about that. In my bandwidth episode, I'm going to talk about triaging. There we go. Y'all heard it first. Here we go. (laughs) All right. Next question. Do you ever find that you talk about your partners too much to your other partners? Boop, 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 bitch. So this is something that I only came to worry about semi-recently, probably in the last two or three years, Um, not with any of my more established partners. And by established, I mean I'm comfortable with them and how they will view what I'm saying and expressing because we either have been together long enough for them to understand or we just have a natural connection where we have the same views or perspective on things. So they will know what I mean whenever I say certain shit. Um, And also for the most part, uh, my partner's know and like each other so they also want to talk about that person (laughs) but but um to the question i can and will talk about my partners on zay and that's romantic and platonic y'all i like them a lot they're a very big part of my life um but i didn't really realize that i did it so much until right before the pandemic i had a date And I didn't realize this was a date until the very end of the date. Whenever she asked, how do your partners feel about you being on a date with me? And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Um, (laughs) But I was apparently talking about my partners a lot during this date. And later on, she expressed that she got a little bit of her feelings about me going on and on about my people. Mostly because she said she also wanted to be my people. But after listening to me, she felt like I might not have time for her because I talked about them so much. Um... And, you know, I think that it didn't come up before this because I don't really date clearly because I didn't even know I was on a damn date. Um, But anyways, um, it wasn't until then that I realized just how much I talk about my partners, because I also personally love hearing about other people's partners and friends. Like I want to hear about anyone and anything that makes somebody happy that I want to get to know. So I didn't stop to realize that it may not be something that other people like. Um, and so because of that, I've been intentionally restraining myself from doing it with the newest person that I'm dating. Um, but then it's, it's, it's funny because when I go some time without talking about my partners, she just asks about them. So then I end up chittering about their asses anyway, cause you know, they awesome. I got good taste and, uh, people do love those wackadoos I call my partners, Yeah. So I think that I'm probably just going to continue to just be me and talk about my partners when I want to. And if somebody feels like I'm overloading them with stories about my partner, then they'll just tell me all right and express that boundary. And then I, you know, won't do it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, How did you first know you were poly and what challenges have you experienced? I talked about how I first knew I was polyamorous in episode one. And the challenges that I have experienced, let's see, hmm, being the token black at non-monogamous functions, um, folks only dating me to experiment with a black girl or a dark-skinned black girl or a black girl with natural hair, Mm mm-hmm, um, Learning about social capital and also the fact that I didn't have much of it. <laughs> um, other challenges: uh, figuring out what I need in relationships and being able to articulate those needs. That was a big old challenge. Um, had to go to therapy for it because I am a basic bitch and uh, all my needs was basic until I let go of some drama, y'all. Yeah. Um, what else? Other challenges um gauging compatibility with folks so like dating people that I'm incompatible with for a wrong amount of time um unicorn hunters <laughs> I will talk about unicorn hunters in another episode y'all um uh, let's see oh a big challenge was feeling frustrated um at there not being many people like me around to talk and vent and relate to and sometimes feeling alone because for a long time I didn't know any black, queer, relationship anarchist, mental illness, slash neurodivergent, kinky, non-monogamous folks. Um and it felt like I would express a thing and nobody would really get for real for real how I was feeling because they didn't share all the intersections of me um that has since changed but also i've learned to like be more patient with explaining to people about why certain shit um really really hurt me because of this other thing that they probably didn't even you know know uh because they didn't have that life experience and you know i explain that shit to the people i'm close to like if i'm saying something and it's like well My partner doesn't get it or my friend doesn't get it. And I'm like, well, the reason that I'm feeling like this is also because I grew up abused and poor. And so that's why blah, 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 blah. And it may seem like nothing to you, but, you know, whatever. And the fact that I'm not monogamous ties into this this way. Now, that's a very hard like that's a very um, energy consuming conversation to have but I've had a couple of those convos with people that I'm really close to because I really want them to understand me because I don't think that a person can truly love me without understanding me and you can't understand me unless I share certain things with you because you don't know you can't you can't love me if you don't know me and how do you know me unless I tell you about me or you see the things about me that are me anyways yeah, and I've also just been like, well, everybody don't everybody in my life doesn't have to match me exactly. I don't even have to have one person that matches me exactly because it's great to see other perspectives. But also, if they just understand me enough, then that's then that's good. And I have people who understand all the pieces of me and certain pieces of me and all of that, and it's great. So, anyways, that was well, some challenges. Let me see, um, what else? Oh, oh. oh, oh. This is one that I'm going to talk about in an episode, and that's like guilt and my feelings about my position, I guess, in the black polyamorous community. I am a queer black woman who dates or (laughs) dated and now have relationships with white people. I just, let me stop. Because we, we, we can we can't talk about all of that right now because we don't have enough time. D we don't have enough time. Um don't worry, we're gonna get into it in many episodes. And I'm pretty sure there's other challenges I have experienced and I'm going to talk about them all in the coming episodes. So keep listening to the podcast. All right. All right. Next question was not a question. It was a statement and it says monogamy is for suckers. And I don't actually believe that. Okay, Um, I think that some folk are wired to be monogamous and some folks are wired to be non-monogamous and some people are flexible like they can be either depending on their partner and situation and I say this because I believe that I kind of believe that everybody's a little bit gay but but I acknowledge that everybody isn't you know like sexually attracted to everybody that everybody isn't sexual at all they are asexual people um everybody isn't romantic at all they're aromantic people and So, yeah, people saying that nobody is monogamous. And I'm like, I definitely believe that there are people out there who are like, I only have room in my brain, in my body for one person sexually and romantically. Um, I don't really understand romance fully, but I can believe that somebody can only have the capacity for either just one romantic relationship or just one sexual relationship. And that's okay. Um, That doesn't mean that they don't have the capacity for other relationships, because clearly they have friends and shit. But maybe they just can't muster up like, you know, romantic feelings for somebody. Or maybe they don't want to have the energy that it takes to maintain the logistics of several sexual relationships. And y'all, there are logistics and the logistics are, you know, not simple all the time. I don't mind that shit. Of course, I'm the scheduling queen. Um, but you know, other people do. So I definitely believe that. Um, what I really believe, really really believe is that people should have a choice. And the choices should be just as socialized um as you have one soulmate that you should find get to marry remain emotionally and sexually exclusive to and have all the children with i believe that the other choices should be socialized just as much as the fucking relationship escalator like people should be taught that you can have designer relationships that you can figure out what works for you and express that to the people you're interested in to create something that's not a script you're following but something that is uniquely yours you should be informed on the choices you are making as well as like what toxicity looks like so that you can avoid it no matter how you choose okay so that's the shit that I believe not that monogamy is for suckers I believe that you're a sucker if you don't want to be monogamous and you are period point blank um and I'm sorry it's I'm that's not I'm not saying that in a mean way um I'm just saying that you're probably letting something like um, fear, fear of being alone, fear of losing somebody that you do care about, stand in the way of you being, you know, satisfied, fulfilled, happy, whatever. Um, but if you can remain happy in a monogamous relationship, but can also see yourself in a polyamorous relationship, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. There are a lot of people who are um, what is the word? Ambiamorous. Um, I think that a uh, motherfucking uh, page turner. Um, invented that phrase ambiamberous you can do both and it really just depends on the situation Um, yeah so there we go and number 10 rounding out the questions for the day is are you still non-monogamous if you only have one partner yes bitch you are you are valid and you are non-monogamous you are non-monogamous if you have zero partners because if you practice non-monogamy then you are non-monogamous period point blank okay I feel like a lot of people struggle with this because they're just like if I have no partners and no or just one partner then like I'm not repping and I'm like look things happen if you have zero partners but you want to be monogamous is somebody gonna say that you're not monogamous because you have zero partners no you if you choose to practice polyamory then that's it that's all you need because It's not totally up to you how many partners you have. Partner implies that there's another person there who needs to give their consent to be in a partnership, to be in a relationship with you. So if you haven't found somebody else or you aren't actively looking for somebody else or what the fuck ever, if you are non-monogamous and practice non-monogamy and have the option to have other romantic, sexual, whatever relationships, then yeah, you're non-monogamous. That's it, boo. Yeah, you. (laughs) All right. And um, that's all that we have. Um, If you have any questions that you would like for me to answer on another Ask the Audience episode of Sunny D Podcast, you can DM me a question on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter. You can go to my page and post it straight up on my page for the world to see, and I will answer it. And that's my Facebook page, Sunny D Um, You can also join my Facebook group, Sunny D Pod, and you can find all of these links in the show notes. I also have a Patreon. Now on my Patreon, patrons can ask me questions directly there. They can join my book club. We did polysecure already, and last month we started starting off the relationship escalator. And the next book club will be at the end of this month for the middle half of stepping off the relationship escalator. Um, and everybody on my Patreon can join in. Also on my Patreon, you get access to my Discord server where you can, you know, talk about polyamory um other nerdy things that i'm into i have little rooms for every everything that i'm into all right and i will be very active on there as well patreon subscribers also get a cute little thing for me you'll get a welcome package with a tea mix that i have made especially for you um some stickers and shit like that and then in the future you will get other little cute merch things for free that I'll send out. You'll also get some cute little behind the scenes things like me building up my recording space or (laughs) the little interludes that I have in between segments or uh, bloopers and shit like that. Um, And then also some bonus content. Yeah, because my episodes are edited down and there are some things that I do not put in, um, extra questions and stuff like that, and you will get that. I think I have two extra questions for this episode that I'm going to be putting in the bonus content. Um, Yeah. So if you want to hear more, if you want to support me more, if you want some extra goodies, if you just can't get enough of sunny d old d Ray here the little wild minx you can use the show notes to follow me on all my socials you can also support my patreon and um get some old shit for your support all right so now i'm really finished (laughs) i hope y'all enjoyed this episode and uh that's that on that This episode was recorded, mixed, and edited by me, D-Ray. The transcription was by the Fugitive Doctor, and you can find the full transcript on my website, SunnyDPod.com. Theme song was by Cowpen Creations. Thank you to all of my beautiful Patreon subscribers. If you would like to become a patron, you can find me on Patreon.com/SunnyDPod. Or search Sunny D Pod. You can also feel free to join my Facebook page, Sunny D, or my Facebook group, Sunny D Pod. Find me on Instagram at Sunny D Pod, on TikTok at Sunny D Meeks, and my ratchet ass Twitter at Lil Wild Meeks. That's it. Stay foxy, y'all.